Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. We're back again at the Corner of Truth and Courage. Thank you for joining us here today. We open our broadcast saying that we're at the Corner of Truth and Courage. What does that mean? Well, you know, here uh, we can live just simply by believing in truth and having truth, but it really doesn't do much for us unless we have the courage to live out that truth, to speak that truth, especially when there are those who disagree and who hold opposing views. We live in a day where it seems like Christians aren't allowed to speak out their faith. You know, you're going to be accused of being a bigot. You're going to be accused of being a hate monger. You're going to be accused many, many different things if you side with God and stand with God's righteousness. Well, Fortress of Faith is a ministry and a radio broadcast that encourages the saints to be courageous, to speak the truth with love, of course. You know, we're seldom persuasive when we're abrasive. You know, we don't need to be hostile and acoustic in our manners in which we speak the truth. And sometimes the truth is hard to hear. The truth that people need to hear is that they're lost, they're sinners and bound for hell, and they're in trouble with God. And unless they repent and turn from their sins and their wicked ways and turn to Jesus and accept the payment for their sins and humble themselves, realize, you know, they can't save themselves, but they need to turn to God turn to him for salvation. That's kind of a, uh, it's not a message that people want to hear, but they need to hear it. And we must speak the truth. We must not be afraid to speak the truth. And when evil shows up in our community, we need to be salt and light to proclaim God's righteousness. We've been on the radio now for over a decade, and it's been amazing how God has blessed this small ministry we have grown, and it's because of the donations of our of our listeners. And maybe you've been out there, and you've been a consumer, a receiver of the blessings of this program. And maybe you're grateful for what you've learned and what you've heard, and you support and agree with what we say. Well, we need your support in just uh, just your affirmation, but uh, in help in donations to help us continue. And we're still a long ways off from reaching our goal. Would you consider helping us today with a donation? Please give us a call. The number is 800-616-0082. That's 800-616-0082. You can give safely, securely online at our website, fortressoffaith.com. Fortressoffaith.com. We'll be grateful for your help. I've been talking to you over the last few days. Uh, from some messages that I preached recently at the Victory Baptist Church here in Hickory, North Carolina, a new church that we planted. Uh, Easter will be our one-year anniversary. We're coming up on that, and we are looking, praying that God will give this building to us there. We're looking at taking a lease out on a prime piece of property in Hickory, and uh, so uh, just uh, praying that God would do a miracle. It really will be a miracle if this comes to pass. But God is in the miracle-making 
business. And we're excited about that. Maybe enjoying that uh, shortly after Easter Sunday. But I want to share with you uh, another message, a part of that message of a series, Men of Destiny. North America is, is crying out for men to be the men of God that they ought to be. God desires for us to reach a destination, a destiny, and that's to be conformed in the image of God. There's a great passage in the Bible that describes a man of God. We'll look at that here a little bit more. But I want to turn to Job for an example here. Uh, Job, you know, this is the first piece of Scripture that man was ever, that we ever had. This was written before Genesis, before uh, Moses had given uh, his five books from the Lord. So what do we learn about God and man in the very beginning is that we are in a spiritual battle. And we find that, you know, Job was described as a perfect man, upright and feared God and eschewed evil. One day the devil is before the Lord and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? One thing about the devil, the devil's an accuser. He's always accusing, always trying to, uh, twist the truth. And he tries that with God. Of course, it doesn't go down very well. But um, but basically, you know, the devil was saying to, to the Lord, God of heaven, well, the only reason why Job serves you, he doesn't do it for naught. He's a privileged person. You bless everything he has. And so that's why he does it. He does it because he's privileged. Not only that, he's protected. You won't let me touch him. You won't let me test him and try him and really see what he's made of. What is his metal? And if you let me do that, he's going to fail. And that's pretty much what the devil had said to the Lord. So the God, so the God says, okay, you can do anything you want. Just don't touch him yourself. Uh, himself. The news comes rolling in. He loses everything, and he was a very wealthy man. All of his livestock and his servants, and, and, uh, and then he loses his children. And they're all taken in, in the same day, in the same 24 hours. And we find in verse number 22 of chapter 1, And in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And so we, hear, we have a man who, when God took away his privilege, and when God took away his protection, he didn't fail. He didn't uh, fall. Then, then the devil comes back and says, Well, you know, he, if you just let me touch him, then he's going to fail, and uh, we're really going to see what he's made of. So God allows more trials, and then he gets uh, stricken with boils. And I don't know if you've ever had had them before. I've had one, and that was in one enough, uh, one too many, all over his body, and tested him sorely, and then left him a, a complaining wife and and friends and, and and all that. And again, still, here's what his prayer was in thirteen fifteen. Chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What, what, what a man of God. And the devil failed. Here's the point. If you become the man of God, if you become the man of destiny, conformed into the image of Christ, man who's a man of God, perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, once you become what God desires for you to be, it's a journey, it's a destination, it's a process. When you become there, I want you to understand, Satan has no power over us. He doesn't. Now, it doesn't matter really how far along that journey you are. If you're walking with God, 
If you're desiring to be the man of destiny, you're conforming into the image of Christ, the devil has no power over you. He cannot overthrow you. He cannot overcome you. You are the dread of the devil. And that's the point. To become the man of God, to become the man of destiny, you are the devil's dread. Job uh, did not defeat the devil because God put a hedge of protection around him and he was privileged and protected. No, he defeated the devil because he became the man of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Here's, I'm going to share something with you folks that most Christians never figure this out. And it really makes the difference between the men and the boys. And this is where the rubber meets the road. There are a lot of people out there who are trying to follow a list. They think that being a man of God or being a godly person, being, you know, growing up spiritually is having a list of things that they do and they follow those things. And the more of those things they do, the more godly they will become. No, that's not it. They're missing the point. They're missing it completely. It's not doing things. It is being something. It's not the doing. It's the being. Job's success is that not that he did the right things, is that he became the right man. And if you become the right man, the right woman, the right child of God, you become that, then you will naturally do the things that a godly person will do. And you can become the dread of the devil. You do not you don't have to live any longer as being a victim. You can become a victor. You can become an overcomer. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And it's a process. This destination that I've been talking about, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for whom he also did know, he did predestinate. In other words, this was preordained that there would be a destination for you to arrive at. And that destination is to be conformed into the image of Christ. And it's a process. At first, you come to the awareness, the knowledge, the understanding. Hey, I'm in trouble with God. I need God's salvation. And you fall at the knees of, at the foot of Christ at the cross, and you, you accept the blood that Jesus shed for you. You get your salvation. You become a born-again believer. At this point, you now become a new creature. And this is the point. God wants you to become that new creature. All things are passed away. Leave them in the grave. You know, a dead man, when he's in, in, in the casket and being driven to the graveyard, if it passes the, the bar where he always got drunk at there, he's no longer going to be tempted with drink. If he drives by the place where he would gamble, he's no longer tempted for, with gambling. If he would drive by the place where he had an affair with someone, he would never be tempted anymore with that there. He's dead. 
Allow the dead man to remain in the grave and become the new man that God has designed for you to be. And then walk, take on the cross, to bear your cross, and you live in the shadow of Christ's cross, and you're on that journey of becoming made into the image of Christ. You now have a new identity. You are now in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it's like a conundrum here. You're in Christ, but the Bible also tells us that Christ is in you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love the illustration of baptism. Baptism doesn't make us saved, but it's an important part of your Christian walk. It's the beginning part. It's the first part of obedience. God says, okay, if you are a child of God, if you believe in me and trust in me, then declare it publicly with your baptism. And, uh, and, and, and what you're doing is you're showing, now you're identifying in the death, that's the burial, that's when we put you down in the water and we fully submerge you because we don't just sprinkle dirt over a dead body. We completely put it under the ground. So we put you under the ground. Now, we used to joke in college, you know, we're not going to let you up until you say tithe. But uh, no, we put you down, but you don't stay down there in the water because Jesus resurrected from the grave. And so we bring you up out of the water, signifying the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to walk in the newness of life. Romans chapter six, verse three, four. Know ye not that as so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You have a new identity. And so now let's live it. That's going to be it for today. Join us again tomorrow at the Corner of Truth and Courage. God bless you.